This podcast is brought to you by the Eisner Award-winning Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska. Hi, I'm Morgan Phelan. I must admit, the first time I heard the Two-Headed Nerd Show, I didn't think much of it. Now that I think of it, I still don't think much of Matt and Joe. But nevertheless, here they are. Sort of break it, break it down like this. Broadcasting from the Ziggurat in Omaha, deep below the metro area, it is my pleasure to welcome you to episode 192 of THN, where we're talking comics and nerd news for the week of Wednesday, January 7th. My name is Matt Baum. As you can tell, I'm having a throat issue. Joe Patrick's God has tried to take my only power away from me, my beautiful singing voice. You can find me on you're the Twitter. A, you're a true hero. You can find me on the Twitter under the handle at Matt Baumstein when I'm not defending a speech I gave years ago in front of a Trekkie group that I had no knowledge was part of an anti-Star Wars hate group. I am writing the comic speculator blog for WorthPoint.com. And I'm Joe Patrick. That's at JoePatrick116 on the Twitter. And when I'm not prepping to free climb the most difficult half mile of Mount Wundagore. I've been trying to stop him all week. I'm the man- YOLO. I'm the manager of Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska. You're never allowed to say that on this show again. YOLO! In this week's episode, you'll hear our reviews of Ant-Man number one and the unbeatable Squirrel Girl number one. After that, we'll review ten more of this week's new comics. Faster Than Aquaman can get a starring role in Michael Phelps' ex-girlfriend's new porn flick. During the ludicrous speed round, not making that up either. This script is all over the place. Then we'll visit the THN Sanctum Sanctorum, where Captain Britain and Union Jack are stopping by for a weekly Downton Abbey party and talk about a couple of next week's comics. And finally, we're playing Ask a Nerd, where we'll sit back on the couch with our therapist and discuss just what the hell happened in the pages of Avengers X-Men Access. And all the feelings we have now that it's over. So, buckle up, boneheads. It's the first regular show of the new year, and the two-headed nerd is ready to talk about this week's big news. I can't scream. That was It's all gonna sound in a world. Image Comics held another event in their now famous series of Image Expos this past Thursday. Do they just kind of happen whenever? Oh, well, I think they happen every January. Okay. And then they all, uh, uh, this past year, they also did it like right before Comic-Con. So maybe two a year. I don't know. Yeah. I, I feel like there's five a year. Well, there's know. two, been two. <laughs> this is the third one. You're right. And as usual, the publisher announced a slew of new and returning titles from some of the biggest and best creators in comics. No time to dilly dally. Here's the full list with official descriptions from Image. So <laughs> and our opinions, not from Image. So you're right. Yeah. <laughs> A.D. After Death from Scott Snyder with art by Jeff Lemire. Whoa. Hell yeah. This is coming in November 2015. After Death will be set in a near future where death has been cured and one man must come to grips with what comes next. Maybe Jeff Lemire can teach Scott Snyder how to end a miniseries. Who knows? Maybe. (laughs) Black Road by Brian Wood. Returning to the Viking genre. With art by his massive collaborator, Gary Brown, set in Viking Age Norway, Black Road follows Magnus the Black, a fixer for the Christian church who loses a Roman official to bandits on the infamous Black Road. Heading north to fix the problem and complete his contract, he uncovers a secret something so big. Hold on. Secret something? A something, a secret something. He uncovers a secret, comma, something so big it threatens (laughs) to change the balance of power in all of Europe. (laughs) Like secret something better. But with one foot in the world of the pagans and the other in that of the church, 
who can trust where his loyalties lie. I love Northlanders. I'm going to love this. I'm going to love it. Brian Wood knows how to write Vikings. He's also the busiest man in comics. Also, I want to know what uh, it means to be a fixer for the Christian church. <laughs> you, <she's laughs> and like, how can I get one? He's like the equalizer oh, for the church. <laughs> whoa. I hate Fairyland. I do too. By Scotty Young with uh, and Jean-Francois Boulot. I think it's pronounced uh, Who I believe uh, <laughs> does the colors for the Oz books. I think that's who that I think is. You're, I think you're right. This book is about Gertrude, a snarky, slightly deranged 40-year-old with a battle axe who happens to be trapped in a Shirley Temple-esque body and confined to the Technicolor fun world that is Fairyland. Uh, Dark humor, perfect for fans of Invader Zim and Fight Club. Those are two disparate uh, titles. (gasps) Only in common. Uh, So what I read about this is that it's like, what happens to Alice if Alice can never leave Wonderland? (laughs) Good God. And no, it just doesn't grow it up. It just goes nuts. Yeah, right. Uh, it was originally supposed to be called Fairyland. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Island and Eight House. Eight House was announced at the first Image Expo. Still waiting for that. I forgot. Uh, Eight yeah. House is kind of the series of interconnected sci-fi fantasy miniseries kind of like but it's sort of like a zine right? curated by brandon graham but yeah. with other creators uh they're also launching this uh this anthology series island which is uh sort of like heavy metal um whoa but he said it's heavy metal but not for 15 year old boys <laughs> okay so it's even more perverted. <laughs> the, the picture was a Brandon Graham cover for Island and the, the subtitle was a comics magazine for comics. Okay. <laughs> Which I thought was pretty clever. Uh, so Island is a collaboration spearheaded by Brandon Graham and Emma Rios uh, featuring a murderer's row of the most interesting artists in comics oversized 72 pages monthly scheduled for june 2015 i hope it can succeed anthology is really hard to sell they are really tough but get the right talent on it and i think people will pay attention that could be captara written by chip zadarsky art who is a uh, artist of sex criminals <laughs> they're uh, proud to announce they are continuing to publish comics in 2015 <laughs> right <laughs> so captara a new ongoing series from very interesting person chip zadarsky <laughs> writer of sex criminals or artist of sex criminals writer of howard the duck and much unpublished poetry <laughs> And award-winning illustrator Kagan McLeod awesome. from Infinite Kung Fu. Awesome. Captara follows Keith Kanga, a young bioengineer flung across the universe onto a strange planet filled with weird danger. <laughs> and if he doesn't get home, then Earth, the place where you live, is doomed. We do live on Earth. We do. Uh, I hadn't thought of it. Chip like Zdarsky was running around the Image Expo referring to Captara as the gay saga. <laughs> but then he said that he was just doing that to get... He's just doing that to get attention. Maybe. Uh, so <laughs> it might actually be the gay saga. We don't know. Okay. Uh, I think it looks great. Kagan McLeod is an amazing artist. I don't have enough gay soap, soap operas in my pile. Yeah, yeah. Month. I mean, saga is really the gay saga if you think about it. There's yeah, a it's, of, it's kind of gay. A lot of that stuff happening, which is great. I would I argue it's it. not gay enough. Everything can be a little gayer. Everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Moving on to Ludocrats by Kieran Gillen. And David LaFuente, who was the artist, uh, a former artist of Ultimate Spider-Man. The Ludocrats is a, this is a quote from Kieran Gillen, I believe. The Ludocrats is a decade in the making opulent, fantastical comedy. (coughs) This is a book which has hyperbole as its baseline and considers the impossible as an aim only fitting for underachievers. Okay, they're not telling us anything. No, it'll change your life. Primarily 
by letting you own a comic book called The Ludocrats, <laughs> where Baron Otto von Supertan and Professor Hades Zero K are the last defenders of a ludicrous aristocracy. Wow. Against the insipid forces of normalization. Jesus Christ, Kieran Gillen. Uh, that's uh, that sounds very funny to me. I don't know if it's a com- uh, yeah. He does say it's a comedy. I just think that's a very funny way of putting it. I was a little upset to find out not a comic book where ludicrous rules. The universe. <laughs> uh, he did say seemed like they're missing something here. I don't know when he uh, got on stage during the image keynote uh, address. He said that the ludocrats will be the best comic book you've ever read. Dot dot dot. Call it the ludocrats. <laughs> oh, call it the ludocrats. Okay. I'll buy that. Monstrous by Marjorie Liu, who I enjoy. Love her. And Sana Takeda. Don't know her. She did some Ms. Marvel stuff. Okay. An ongoing Fantastic Adventure series set in alternate 1900s Asia. Whoa. Mm. In Monstrous, readers are transported into the early 1900s where immense leviathans roam the earth, wielding unimaginable powers that many have long desired to exploit. When a teenage girl with a mysterious past forms a tenuous psychic bond with the most dangerous of all the Leviathans, she becomes the target of both human and otherworldly authorities who will stop at nothing to possess her, to control her, and control the lord of all the Leviathans. What they don't count on is the courage of the girl herself and the fact that she is slowly becoming more than human. So it's like Shadow of the Colossus is if after you kill the Colossus, you ground up his horns to maintain an erection. <laughs> 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 pretty much uh yeah um, okay sure <laughs> yeah, yeah. why not <laughs> no that sounds awesome that sounds totally awesome no mercy by alex DeCampi, who wrote the recent grindhouse miniseries for dark horse and carla speed mcneil who is a creator i've always wanted to read but never have That's she does name. that independent book finder yeah i recognize the name mm-hmm. no mercy is coming out in spring 2015 it was just a trip before college build schools in a central american village <laughs> Get to know some of the other freshmen. What could go wrong? After tragedy strikes, these once privileged American teens must find their way home in a cruel landscape that at best doesn't like them and at worst actively wants to kill them. No phones. No passports. No mercy. Far cry. Kinda. <laughs> totally, right? <laughs> Without all the bonkers going on, maybe. Paper Girls by Brian K. Period Vaughn and Cliff Chang. For a new ongoing series. That oh, shit. Awesome. Paper Girls is the story of four 12 year old newspaper delivery girls who experience something extraordinary one day. They're still trying to figure out what that is. Yeah, no further information. <laughs> Guaranteed to be extraordinary. Plutona. Or Tona. Or Plutona. What is Plutona? Written by Jeff Lemire with art by Emmy Lennox. Colors by Jordi Belair. That gal gets around. Beppo winning. Oh, yes. The Golden Beppo Award winner, Jordi Belair. Which I'm surprised they forgot to mention that. Yeah, they did. Yeah, they didn't get the memo. Uh, Teaming up to explore the nature of friendship and the line between good and evil in an all-new series, Plutana follows the story of five suburban kids who make a shocking discovery while exploring the woods one day after school, the body of the world's greatest superhero, Polara, laying dead among the mud and grass it's stand by me with superheroes stand by me with a superhero awesome yeah sounds great i'm excited for that great team too oh man revengeance (laughs) not a word it is now (laughs) darwin cook his first ever truly creator-owned project that seems i don't care what it is i'm in 
I think that is an accurate statement. Yeah, I don't care. Uh, June 2015, Revengeance is a psychological thriller with darkly humorous overtones. When Joe Malarkey is faced with a criminal tragedy, now that is a hell of a name. He sets out to make things right on his own. What follows is Joe's odyssey through the underside of the city and the madness that seems to drive his crazy world. I don't care what it's about. Yeah, again, I'm into it. Don't care. It's a three issue miniseries. I'm super pumped. Anything new by Darwin Cook, I'm automatically on board. Yeah, go ahead and give him the Eisner now. Run, love, kill, all one word, by Eric Canetti, who I love. Love him too. And John Sui, Sui, whom I'm not familiar with. Yeah. An ambitious take on sci-fi and action-centric storytelling, joined by designer and color artist Leonardo Olia, and CGI 3D covers by Manu Fernandez. Yeah, they're like building models. Yeah, they're like CGI. They're like uh, video game. I've been following Eric Canetti on his uh, Tumblr, and he's released a few of them. They look awesome. Yeah. This will be launched in spring 2015. Here is the description. The story follows a wanted woman in hiding named Rain Oshiro. The narrative style will prominently feature two very different but significantly connected moments throughout her life. The past, which will explore her history as an impressionable student, an abiding soldier, and a wanted fugitive, and the present, which will show her as she is now and how she copes with and runs away from the decisions made in her past. At its core, the story is an exploration of choices, both good and bad, and now, how her choices have formed her into the person she has and will become. Set against a background of a futuristic world as only artist Kennedy can imagine, Rain has just 24 hours to escape a barricaded city while trying to evade a military force determined to either capture or kill her. It sounds so perfectly anime, you know? It is (laughs) very anime. Just dense, dense solicit. Right. Here we go. Savior, written by Todd McFarlane with co-writer Brian Holguin and art by Clayton Crane. I like Clayton Crane. I do too. According to Image Comics, it's brilliantly written. <laughs> okay. It's an eight-issue miniseries hitting shelves in April. A man appears with no background, no memory, and no place to call home. But this much is clear. This individual possesses certain powers, abilities that hearken from the Old Testament. Could he possibly be this corrupted world's savior in the flesh? Or could he be the world's undoing? Imagine that. Todd McFarlane working on an anti-hero. Huh. With vaguely religious overtones. Yeah, that could be strange. That's really different for him. I just don't like Todd McFarlane. I, Todd McFarlane is not a writer I enjoy. No, he's become he's been a one-trick pony for a very long time. And I, you know what? I'm, I'm throwing this out there. Lay it on us. Who still cares about Spawn? Anybody out there? I want to hear it. I'm not saying you're wrong. I just want to hear if anyone still does. Lay it on us. I'll give it a try. I'll I like, give it a try. I like Clayton Crane. I like Brian Holguin. Brian Holguin uh, did some work on Mr. Majestic back in the day. Yep. I like that stuff. He was great. So we'll see. I don't know. I'm just, when they say, and Todd McFarlane is writing a new book. I'm like, I don't care. Yeah. Like the last new book we got from him was The Haunt, and it was basically Spawn. Uh, I liked The Haunt, though, because. Uh, I like it when Joe Casey took it over. Uh, Robert Kirkman wrote that. Yeah. And I liked it. And then when Joe Casey took it, it became bananas mm-hmm. and it was awesome. Son of the devil. By Brian Bucolato and Tony Infante. His name's no fun unless you say Bucciletto. Brian Bucciletto and Tony Infante. Last names in the business. <laughs> Psychological horror story about one man's discovery of familial blood ties to a cult. Sons of the devil is a dark look at a blue collar 25 year old orphan 
who learns he is the son of a cult leader. I can relate. Yikes. Like True Detective and the following, Sons of the Devil is an exploration into the dark side of human psychology. It's a grounded take on cults that balances the real world with the supernatural. It's gritty, character-driven, and tonally lays somewhere between Southern Bastards and Nailbiter. They really dropped a lot of references in yeah, this description. Name dropping. But. Sounds terrifying. It does sound terrifying. And cool. And they kind of had me at True Detective, so I'll definitely give it a try. Brian Buccioletto, I think he's a competent writer. Yeah. I, uh, like, he has I'm done the I'm not coming flag. up with anything that I, like, freaked out over. He did The Flash uh, for a while in the New 52, and now they're doing Detective Comics. And, okay. I mean, it's, it's decent. Okay. You know? So I'm definitely going to check it out. I find a lot of these guys, too, when we're always like, oh, man, I'm not really into him. They go off and do their own creator stuff, and we go, holy crap, that's good. Totally. Ailes Cott, for example, did not give a crap about anything that dude did at DC. Zero might be one of my favorite books. Here's another book by Brian Wood, Starve, with art by Danigel Zazelge. I really like him. I know that artist. I know that name. Yeah. I know that combination of... Z's and J's anywhere. I used to think it was a Zedgy. It was a Zedgy. <laughs> but it's not. He got a lot of work for Marvel back in mm-hmm. the early 2000s when Marvel was just doing anything they wanted. He also did an Unknown Soldier mini that I love. Yeah, I, I think he's an amazing artist. He's fantastic. Dave Stewart on Colors. Hello. This is set in the near future where celebrity chefs are idolized and reality television has taken a decidedly unsavory turn. Starve is set in a world where chefs are practically royalty and access to them is the ultimate status symbol. Chef Gavin Crookshank, back from self-imposed exile, finds his little foodie television program Starve transformed into a gonzo arena sport (laughs) where chefs slice and dice rare and endangered species for their super rich patrons. Since his personal life is as much a shambles as his professional career, Chef Crookshank works to repair his relationship with his grown daughter while dismantling the monstrosity that Starve has become ecologically conscious, human, and bizarre. This is what Brian Wood does. Yeah, yeah. You don't hear the name Crookshank too often these days. I, and I totally appreciate you it. You really don't. You really don't. <laughs> Unless they're like trying to steal all your Dalmatians or something, you know? Like, <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, so the promo art by Zazelge, I'm sorry, had the this guy like cutting his own mouth open with the carving knife. is very scary. And so this does not make me think horror, but the image I saw made me think horror. Okay. So I don't know what to think, but it sounds interesting. Tadima by Emmy Lennox, written and illustrated. This is uh, kind of a personal journey thing back to Japan. It's an original graphic novel. Uh, throughout childhood, Emmy visited her grandmother in Japan frequently, but through the years of high school and after, she hadn't been back in nearly 12 years. Sadly, within those 12 years, both her Japanese grandparents passed away. Tadaima is a travelogue documenting a trip back to Japan with her mother for a memorial service to renew the Sabota, a wooden grave marker at her grandparents' tomb in Fukushima. Ooh, it sounds, uh... It sounds heavy. Heavy. Touching on Japanese spirituality and cultural differences, Tadaima is more than a book about landmarks and foreign cuisine. It's about family. Jeez whiz. Jeez whiz. I... I am not familiar with Emmy Lennox's work personally. I know that people really enjoy her. I just have not experienced her stuff. Sounds heavy. Takaida. <laughs> All right. Oh, man. We stand on guard again by Brian K. Period Vaughn. What is the deal? He just like listen to everybody saying, Brian, you don't do enough work. Listen to this. <laughs> drawn by Steve Scrochi. One of my favorites. This is an all new miniseries, an action packed military thriller set in the 22nd century. 
The series follows a heroic band of Canadian civilians turned freedom fighters who take up arms against a violent invasion of their country by a technologically superior nation, the United States of America. We are jerks. (laughs) And finally, Heaven by James Robinson and Philip Tan, an all-new space opera. Heaven introduces readers to a distant future where the forces of man and alien combined have used religion to conquer this universe and are now ready, about to invade the next one, heaven itself. The quote-unquote good war between man and angel will span galaxies and dimensions, building to a final conflict that threatens to negate all of reality itself. Along the way, many players on both sides of the war will be featured, soldiers, spies, and politicians, all with differing goals and agendas, even as their two distinct and differing realities explode around them. Holy hell. Once again, the Image Expo shows up, blows up our entire news segment, and everything sounds pretty cool. Yeah, I am looking forward to many of the books. Yeah. Uh, I was going to ask you what your favorite is, but hey, spoilers, we're going to do that for the question of the week. We're going to get to that in a second. Don't tell these jerks that. Listen, give them a little taste. That's the big news for this week. If you'd like to discuss these stories or anything you think we missed, hit us up on the THN forums where Joe Patrick and I are proud to announce the details of our latest acquisition. Thanks to your donations last year, we were able to purchase the Comics Therapy Podcast and are happy to announce that Aaron and Andrea will be moving into their own little sex kennels right next to the other THN love slaves very soon. Do me a favor, guys. Don't say anything to them yet. We want to make the announcement ourselves it's gonna be a surprise a terrible surprise every sunday my favorite capitalist pig joe patrick posts the question of the week in the thn forums joe let's make it official what are we asking the nerds this week all right this week's question what announcement from the image expo has you the most excited there was a lot of them what do you think can we can we maybe say like pick your top three favorite nope come on why one well but what detail are they gonna go into i don't care one that's the, that's the rule. There's too many. I'm giving one. Dang. You're giving one. You heard it. That's right. You have until 5 p.m. this coming Friday, January 16th to get us your answer. You can call and leave a message using Skype. The Skype panel's two at a nerd, all one word. Or call the Ziggurat hotline 402-819-4894. Or send an MP3 to two at a nerd at gmail.com. Whatever you do, keep it under three minutes. Shouldn't be that hard because Map Bomb won't let you pick more than one. That's right. There are rules. Yeah. You want to start your own little anarchist podcast? Go right ahead. You can join the feet of comics, guys. Huh? Just go insane. <laughs> if you need more than three I'm just minutes. Kidding. Their show is actually really well done. <laughs> if you need more than three minutes, head to the THN forums. Rank them in order of, of how important they are to you. Sure. <laughs> it's review time on THN where Matt and I upset two creative teams as we completely misunderstand what they were going for. Matt, what did you review this week? This week, it was all about little animals. I read Ant-Man number one from Marvel, written by Nick Spencer with art by Ramon Rosanas. 40 pages for the low, low price of $4.99. When the first announcement for the Guardians of the Galaxy movie hit the net, we all agreed that Marvel had quite a challenge in front of them. Guardians turned out to be a massive success, but... It seems to me that Ant-Man might be their biggest challenge to date. The challenge? How do you get the public to care about Ant-Man? A guy with the power to shrink and talk to ants, and I should mention, 
this isn't even the story of the guy who created the technology and first wore the Ant-Man costume. This is not Hank Pym's story. This is the story of Scott Lang. And it just happened to hit the stands the same week as the premiere of the Ant-Man movie trailer, which I would total coincidence underwhelming. Well, it's a teaser, really. I get it. So I still I didn't freak out. I didn't freak out either. Right. But I don't think anyone did. Nick Spencer's on writing duties here, and this title seems like it's going to be quite the departure from the usual gritty military and spy intrigue work. Here, Spencer's writing a much more lighthearted, lovable loser. Scott Lang seemed to be more of a sad sack kind of loser than we've ever seen him before. Like when he was in FF, he obviously came from a, a weird background and they, they discussed, rediscussed how, look, I'm giving you a chance here because I believe in you and whatnot. And he made good. He did a really good job. But he was kids. still unconfident, I think. He was still unconfident, but he wasn't necessarily like a homeless moron. <laughs> you know? I don't think he was a moron in this necessarily. Not a moron, but, but we, we both agree. A bigger I, loser I, than we've ever to seen. To me, yes, it did seem to me that this version of Scott Lying really had his life in much more of a shambles than yeah. I'm used to. Like they're like, he makes Peter Parker look like a successful dude. You know? <laughs> <laughs> uh, and also I think it's fair to say that this is Scott Lang recently returned from the dead. And so I guess you could kind of see your way to explaining why his life is kind of a mess. Okay. Because he mentions like, he doesn't have a social security number anymore. Yeah. You know, the like things that, and that makes sense. I probably have like to that. deal with when you are dead and then not dead. I had not, thought about that i've never been dead before so You're right you know maybe i'm are... talking out of my ass here i don't know <laughs> speaking of being dead cleverly using a job interview for tony stark's new chief of security position as a backdrop spencer brings readers up to speed with everything they need to know about scott lang and there's a couple really cute dead jokes in there Although, I should mention that it, I didn't feel like this was the access inverted Tony. He was still a real dick to Scott. I mean, but Tony's always kind of a dick. No, he's not always kind of a yeah, dick. Yeah, he kind of is. And they kind of yell at him for that all the time. <laughs> no, I mean, to me, this this was like, well, yeah, because he pitted them against each other in some sort of like death match kind of thing. Not really. Because nobody died. But not it's not important match, to the story. Well, regardless. In fact, we got 11 pages of Scott Lang history, and I never got bored. From there, we see Scott trying to balance his somewhat failed superhero career with his life as a single parent to his newly reborn daughter, Cassie Lang. It goes around in that family. It really does. Now, I will say Cassie seemed a little younger to me than the last time we bumped into her, I too. feel like... Uh well, because I thought that when they made her a superhero in Young Avengers, they way aged her. Yeah, I thought Cassie was like 17, 18. In Young Avengers. But before Here? that, I thought she was like 7 or 8 okay, <laughs> or now, 11. She's definitely 13 or 14. Yeah, they. I feel like they've de-aged her as well. Okay, so not really sure. Cassie Lang. But I don't think it's necessarily important for this story. I don't know that they're no. going to get into a whole lot of the Young Avengers stuff. And that's what I was going to say. For those of you who don't know, she was stature in the Young Avengers, has the same powers of her dad, can't talk to bugs. That's the helmet doing that. Cassie and her father get along very well, but her mother, Scott's ex-wife, isn't crazy about her daughter hanging out with a newly reborn wannabe superhero. <laughs> Homeless, unemployed. Yeah. yeah. From there, we see Lang competing with some younger heroes you might recognize from the X and Spidey titles. And Spencer does a great job realizing the tension of having to compete with a younger and seemingly smarter generation as an older guy. I get the feeling that Scott Lang is supposed to be 35, 
38? <laughs> old enough to feel old. <laughs> threatened by right. people in their early 20s. Which is interesting because most of the characters we're reading about are in their mid-20s, probably. Aside from, you know, Cap. <laughs> you know, for me, I always read that everyone in the Marvel Universe is in their mid-30s except for Spider-Man and the obviously teenage characters. And Wolverine, who's 200 and something. Well, he's dead now. but Well, yeah, but you know what I mean. The art by Ramon Rosanis reminds me of what I love about Barry Kitson and fits the mood of this comic perfectly. Oh, yeah. There's that's, an, a good, that's a good uh, right? reference. There's nothing revolutionary about his work, but he brings real emotion to every panel. And he does a really great job with point of view, which is very difficult when one of your characters is really, really small. Yeah. You got to make everything else look big, and he nails it. In the end, Lang is forced to make a choice between family and career, and it's just a very nice bow on the first issue. I didn't know what to expect here, but I ended up really liking this book. How do you get people to care about Ant-Man? First, ditch Hank Pym, because his past is almost as screwed up as Hawkman's. And second, replace him with a single parent ex-criminal with a heart of gold. Here's to you, Scott Lang. I'm excited to read more of this book. I'm giving this a buy it. I liked it too. I really did enjoy it. Uh, other than the whole, uh, I was given pause by him being much more of a mess than I recall. Right. But I think we kind of worked through that yeah, just now. And chalk it up to him coming back from the dead. Uh, so there was just a couple things here and there that seemed off compared to how I remember Got Lang and his daughter, but there's a movie coming out. Right. And I'm sure that he's being gently massaged to fit a certain Paul Ruddian mold. <laughs> and, you know, I'm okay with that because Scott Lang as a character, while he does have a relatively long history. He's been around for a while, but he is kind of a blank slate. Yeah, it's he's he's the he's a great example of a character that has been around forever, but also nobody really knows or cares anything about him. I'm giving it a buy it as well. I thought it was really charming. I got in my Let's stay on the talking to animals theme and why don't you tell the kids about the unbeatable squirrel girl. Oh man. Get ready. This is from Marvel Comics, written by Ryan North, with art by Erica Henderson, and colors by Rico Renzi. Here's your solicit, since we didn't read it last week. Bullet! Wolverine, Deadpool, Doctor Doom, Thanos. There's one hero that's beaten them all, and now she's got her own ongoing series. Not that she's bragging. Bullet! That's right, you asked for it, you got it. It's Squirrel Girl! She's also starting college this semester. Bullet! It's the start of a brand new series of adventures starring the nuttiest and most upbeat superhero in the world. That's a true statement. How can I possibly say something about this book that won't be obvious from the most casual glance? Doreen Green is a mutant with squirrel powers, occasional nanny for Luke Cage and Jessica Jones, and one of the most competent superheroes on the planet. Deadpool, Doctor Doom, even Thanos. Yeah, she's beaten them. She once took down Wolverine in front of his fellow new Avengers. She's also a character that oozes with so much genuine charm that you can't help but like her. The Unbeatable Squirrel Girl is written by Ryan North, the man who brought Adventure Time to comics and gave us the Midas Flesh, which I really loved, uh, eight issue miniseries from Boom last year. North is quickly becoming one of my favorite writers in comics. Everything he puts out is full of personality and legitimately hilarious. He may not be the go-to guy for the next big universe-smashing event, but I'd be lying if I didn't admit I'd like to see him try someday. North's script is full of perfect touches from the revelation of where Doreen keeps her tail when in her secret identity to her inventive takedown of Craven the Hunter. 
The issue is laugh out loud funny in parts and so damn sincere that you root for the main character right from the jump. I wasn't sure about Erica Henderson when the series was first announced, but her art style fits this book to a T. It's deceptively simple, but also full of detail when it needs to be. Henderson's characters are exaggerated in all the right ways, and she's great with facial expressions. Did you like the buck teeth? Uh, she's got buck teeth. That's just how it is. Okay. All right. I mean, I don't love it or hate it. That's just the character has buck teeth. She always has? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. All right. I had kind of a love-hate relationship with the colors by Rico Renzi. There were some pages where the colors seemed garishly oversaturated, but it's clear that he was trying to invoke a particular effect, and overall, I thought he did a great job complementing the art style. With a book called Squirrel Girl, you're going to see a lot of brown, and Renzi helps bring the world around Doreen to life with a bright, soft palette. I thought it looked really good overall. I'm not sure how much more convincing you need. The unbeatable Squirrel Girl fits perfectly into that wheelhouse of fun, upbeat comics that I've been drawn to over the past year. This is a huge buy it for me. I thought it was awesome. After the first two pages? No furry jokes. I hated it. I was like, this is so cheese. This is so twee. (laughs) The first first two pages were kind of silly. And by the end of it, I was sold. I, I, I saw what Ryan North was doing. I wasn't crazy about the art at first either. It kind of bothered me, like how they were drawing her. Like, cause I, I mean, I've seen Squirrel Girl before and I don't have a strong attachment to the character, but I was just like, well, this looks kind of ridiculous. But by the end of the book, again, I figured it out and I got it. And I liked how they drew her kind of curvy. She's not a tiny little skinny girl. Right. You know, like she's got some junk in the trunk thanks to her, her tail all tucked yeah. in. And when she walks by, dudes go, whoa. <laughs> <You> <laughs> yeah, know? it's true. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, this was silly. And it was stupid. Right. But it was well executed, stilly stupidity. You know what I mean? It was fun in sort of an all ages kind of way, but it doesn't talk down to anybody. It wasn't overly referential like Batgirl, which we had serious problems with where they were trying to make it new and hip and whatever. Like, right. And I think Ryan North is an expert at doing just that exact thing. Yes. And Doreen Green is a believable weirdo spaz character you know (laughs) like probably what a human squirrel would act like and i really liked her i liked her roommate i like that her roommate has a cat that she talks to and and she's obsessed with knitting yeah (laughs) (laughs) like this this was just fun and silly i now is it a must buy probably not but i can't say i didn't like it i'm giving it the strongest skimmit i can give because honestly my problem with a book like this cold-hearted asshole you're Hear me out. I'm giving it the strongest skimming I possibly can. I'm just saying it's not must-read material for me. I'm being honest here. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was it was good. It was sure, good. sure. Yeah, I suppose that's fair. Yeah, I mean, I'm not attacking. I re- no. I liked it. But is it a book that I'm going to go to every month and go? Oh, I got to read what's happening next. No, probably not. Like it's fun and it's funny and it was well executed. Okay, but it's not at the top that's of my fine. pile. Uh, to me, it fits right in with that. Uh, the trend uh, to have characters along the lines of Kamala Khan where yes, she's a superhero and yes, she goes on adventures, but her book is quirky yes, and weird. And she is a, like you said, she's a spaz and she writes fan fiction and she she's is. a fan girl. And my I, argument to you would be that I feel like that book is better executed. Oh, that's fine. Yeah. That's that, fine. And Cause I, I, I want to read that every month. I didn't think I would. It surprised me. I want to read it every month. 
and maybe my feelings I for think Squirrel this is your Girl anti Squirrel Girl bias showing. No, through. maybe my my feelings will change by issue three or four if they maintain it and it stays as charming and fun. Maybe it will, but right now it was just kind of silly and funny, and I don't know that I need to read it every month. That's all. That's where I'm at. All right. Well, you heard it here first. Matt Baum is an unrepentant jerk. <laughs> squirrel, 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 squirrel. So that is a double buy it for Ant Man number one, and a buy it and a skim it for the unbeatable Squirrel Girl number one. As always, we want to know what you insect and squirrel whisperers thought of these comics. So show us your nuts. And hit us with your opinions over at the THN forums. It was only a matter of time. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Which you can find by clicking the forum button at twoheadednerd.com. With the news that Michael Phelps' girlfriend was making a tell-all porn movie based on her relationship. Wait, what? This tell-all? This is true. With the most successful U.S. Olympian of all time, we decided to call Does our... Does that mean that her, that Michael Phelps will be a character? Yes. In this porno? Yes. Oh my god. It is a porno bio. <laughs> Gross. We decided to make a call to our good and struggling friend, Arthur Curry, and pull a few strings from our adult entertainment connections. You wouldn't believe how many Joe Patrick has. To get the king of Atlantis. I don't like to brag. The job. Who better to play the king of the butterfly stroke? So, join Joe, myself, and Aquaman's fluffer, Dolphin, in our tall producer chairs as we call lights, camera, and action while we review ten more of this week's new comics during... The ludicrous speed round. Ludicrous speed! Go! Revenger, number one from Oily Comics? You got it. This is the first of Charles Forsman's work that I've read, and it grabbed me from the first panel. Forsman writes and draws this story of a black female badass in the spirit of Martha Washington and the Equalizer, who travels the U.S., helping the helpless in a very violent fashion. His style reminds me of Michelle Fife's work on Copra in the sense that it's not as refined and packaged as other comics on the stands, but he's a definite understanding of action and comic book storytelling. This is a digital comic available through gumroad.com. I highly recommend it. I'm giving it a buy it. Avengers, no more bullying. Number one from Marvel. <laughs> Though heavy-handed and occasionally funny for the wrong reasons, this Marvel PSA comic features several stories by talented creators for just two bucks. If you put this in the hands of a kid, they just might learn something. Buy it. Action Comics 38 from DC. After listening to Joey swoon about Greg Pak and Aaron Cooter's Action Comics on last week's Golden Beppo Awards, I decided to give it another chance, and I'm glad I did. This had an amazing flashback sequence by Jay Lee that led to Cooter's modern story, and both were just beautiful. Cooter has come into an amazing style since I've seen him last. Apparently, the terrifying monster Soups is facing here is the Ultra Humanite? According to the solicit, anyway, but I certainly did not recognize him. <laughs> Regardless, this is a solid Superman read with incredible art. I'm giving it a buy it. Ninth Generation, number one from Top Cow. You might know it as the Ixth Generation. Oddly compelling art can't save an overly dense, borderline incomprehensible story. If you haven't read every single Top Cow comic for the past several years, you should probably give this one a pass. Leave it. Hmm. Antioch, number one from Diclops. Where are you getting these comics? I'm going to tell you right now. I grabbed this digital comic after seeing a link to the Diclops site on bleedingcool.com. Writer and artist Kevin Colden drew The Crow, Life and Death, recently for IDW, a comic book I gave a buy it. 
And here he's telling the story of a man that has visions of the past during seizures and a genital mutilating psychopath that seem like they're somehow connected. This was disturbing, strange, and beautifully drawn. It was free when I downloaded it, but I think it probably costs something now. Regardless, if you want to see what it's like when an artist slash writer works without the constraints of editorial, look no further, but be prepared for some serious genital violence. (laughs) Give it a buy. Operation Sin, pardon me, Operation S, period, I, period, N, period. Number one from Marvel. Marvel smartly capitalizes on the current popularity of Peggy Carter, but then has the dubious idea of tying this miniseries into the stinker that was Original Sin. Still, writer Catherine Immonen and artist Rich Ellis managed to deliver a pretty solid period piece set during the hidden history of Marvel Comics. It was fun. I'm giving it a buy it. Don't be turned off by the whole Original Sin trappings. It's bleh. Turn me off. Lady Killer, number one from Dark Horse. Joelle Jones and Jamie Rich tell the story of a 50s housewife living a double life as a contract killer. Jones is also on art, and she is fantastic here, reminding me what I used to love about Howard Chaikin and still love about Tan Eng Huat. Her perspective is unusual but very effective, like reading a David Fincher film from the late 90s. Very cool coloring, too, by Laura Alred with toner dots that spread outside the panels, giving the comic a classic feel. This was just fun, sexy, and violent. Good read. I'm giving it a buy it. Deadly Class, number 10 from Image. <laughs> just when I think I have this book figured out, it devolves into an issue-long poop joke, and I love every page of it. Had I, I do love poop jokes. I really do. Had I been caught up in time for the Golden Beppos, some of my awards may have been different. One of Image's best and worth the effort to catch up if you were behind like I was. Huge. Buy it. Deadly class, dudes. Get on it. Feathers, number one from Boom. Jorge Corona writes and draws this story of an old man living on the wrong side of a wall that separates the rich from the poor. There he discovers a baby covered in feathers. Flash forward 11 years and that feathered child has a sense of morality and doesn't like the rich guards shoving the people of the maze around. That's where the poor folks live. Corona is a very talented artist packing his panels with cartoonish detail, but the story came off a little dense. Still, a good start to a story that might read better collected. See, and I thought it was slight because I thought they spent so much time establishing the hierarchy that they didn't actually give you any plot. Kind of. Yeah. I mean, it, it got a little lost there and it might, again, it might read better collected. This was one of the Archaea offerings from Boom. Beautifully drawn. Beautifully drawn. Giving it a skim. Ferris, number 33 from Vertigo. Bill Willingham returns to close out the Ferris series with an odd little issue focusing on the psychotic revolutionary Goldilocks. The story itself is great and beautifully illustrated by Megan Hetrick but it ends on a cliffhanger to be continued in a $23 graphic novel that came out over a year ago. As a companion to Fables, Ferris always seemed like an afterthought to me, and this non-finale didn't really do anything to convince me otherwise. Skim it. So it's a prequel. It is a lead-in to a graphic novel that came out a year ago. So it's a prequel. But it's the final issue of the series. Like, it's not even a wrap-up of the series. It's, I don't know. Weird. Wolverine's number one from Marvel. If you loved all the miniseries that spun out of Death of Wolvie and paid very close attention (laughs) to Yeah, really, I was lost. Then there's a chance you'll understand what's going on here. Me, completely lost. Apparently, Dakin, or as we like to call him, Dakin, the Mohawk-clad son of Wolvie, is alive and has a newfound respect for his dead dad. And 
There's a whole new cast of characters. It doesn't mm. resemble the ones I remember from the Logan Legacy mini at all, but I did only read the first issue. We read their Weapon X program one. Well, that's where these guys came from. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I can't say I wasn't a little intrigued, but all in all, this was a terrible first issue for those who have not been following along. Great arc by Nick Bradshaw, though. It was interrupted for two pages. Yeah, by a different artist. Very suddenly, by a completely different artist, who, while not bad, is not Nick Bradshaw. Jarringly different. Yeah. Yeah. Can only give this a skim. And a low skimming at that. Yeah. <laughs> Charles Soule's working here. I trust it. That is your ludicrous speed round and rip. It's the sound of Mr. Sinister pulling Dakin's damn arm off as seen in the pages of this week's issue of Wolverine's number one. I've never quite understood what his powers were. I He's guess we can add superhuman strength to him. Mr. Sin- oh, you Mr. Sinister, you mean? Yeah. Uh, yeah, why not? <laughs> What does that guy do? He's got brilliantly sculpted facial hair. And he's very tall. Very tall. And he's got a hell of a flat top. (laughs) Yeah. If there's one thing we can't get enough of here in the ziggurat, it's British period pieces. So to celebrate one of our favorites, we invited Union Jack and Captain Britain over for our weekly Downton Abbey viewing party and tea. But before we check in on the Dowager and Lady Mary's newest love affair... I do say her husband, Matthew, is barely cold in the grave. Tell me about it. What do you say we invite these chaps to a jolly good discussion of what comics we're excited for next week? Look, I'm going to be honest. We both picked the same thing. That's fine. Why don't you go ahead and tell them? There's nothing else to pick. All right. Come on. You know what? We did the same thing at Legend. I just said everyone's pick is Star Wars number one. Give me a damn break. (laughs) Star Wars number one from Marvel Comics, written by Jason Aaron, with art by John Cassidy. Here's your solicit. Returns to Marvel! That's why I'm letting you do it. I can't scream. I understand. Luke Skywalker and the ragtag band of rebels fighting against the Galactic Empire are fresh off their biggest victory yet. The destruction of the massive battle station known as the Death Star. The second time. The first time. The first time. But the Empire... (laughs) Yeah, there ain't no Lando here yet. But the Empire's not toppled yet. Join Luke along with Princess Leia, smugglers Han Solo and Chewbacca, droids C-3PO and R2-D2, and the rest of the Rebel Alliance as they strike out for freedom against the evil forces of Darth Vader and his master, the Emperor. Now like 65 variant covers or something. No, there are over 100. Oh my God. Yeah. Uh, Star Wars number one sold a million copies. Over a million copies. Holy hell. To retailers. But still, still, this is the biggest launch. Ever? It's certainly the biggest launch so far this year. My God. (laughs) But... It's a huge deal. It's got to be since the boom, since like the two, the boom of the 2000s. I believe, yeah, it's certainly one of the best-selling comics in many, many, many years. My God. Which and, means it will be virtually worthless. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's going to be everywhere. You're not going to have a hard time tracking down a copy, but definitely track it down because the character, uh, the creators they've got on this book yeah. are top-notch. Not to mention they are so f- excited to be working on this yeah really They're so pumped and i don't want to take anything away from dark horse dark horse did a great job maintaining star wars and this sounds bad but it seems like just from what we've heard of what marvel's planning like the stuff that they've solicited it sounds like the marvel stuff is going to be so much better <laughs> i don't know well i don't know about better it's just that maybe in the sense that they're able to attract like, really big name talent sure not that brian wood is not 
but Brian Wood is the exception to the rule. Here, here's where I am uh, about Star Wars comics. For me, there's only so much of the expanded universe stuff yeah. that I can really get invested yeah, in. Yeah, my eyes glaze over. Especially the stuff that happened before the movies. Yeah. And so after 20 years, Dark Horse was putting out, while I'm sure they were high quality books, I just don't care about... That's just it. What was going on yeah. in the old Republic or, yeah. you know, I just, for me as a fan, Luke's second cousin or right. Right. You know, like for like, me as a fan, I'm not into that, that sort of stuff. And while you, like you said, dark horse did an excellent job curating the star Wars mythos for two decades and absolutely. nothing will ever take absolutely. that away for them to get back to the meat of star Wars, at least in my eyes, I couldn't be more excited. I totally agree. But oddly, this takes place in the exact same time period as Brian Wood's Star Wars, which now doesn't matter. Well, you know. Great stories, though. Yep. The THN trade of the week goes to Stray Bullets, Volume 6, Killers, from Image Comics, written and illustrated by David Lapham. A little boy learns too late that running your mouth can get you run over. A young babysitter gets in, the, gets in way over her head when she's hired to sit by a dangerous man with a dangerous request. A young couple's hopeful visit to the city turns to anything but when they step into the middle of a mob turf war and watch more than just friends die. And a young man just trying to help his hustler cousin out of a bad spot instead becomes the ultimate killer. These are only some of the eight stories comprising Killers, the newest arc in the ongoing world of stray bullets. Each story stands on its own, but collectively they tell the twisted story of two teens Virginia and Eli, both scarred by tragic childhood intersections with the Baltimore underworld, drawn together in the sleepy seaside town of Sandcastle, unable to escape their dark pasts. I've yelled about it a lot. This, I am so happy to have Stray Bullets back. It is feel bad comic booking at its best. Like you're, a and why wouldn't you want that? <laughs> if you're a fan of Breaking Bad, if you're a fan of shows like Sons of Anarchy and stuff like this, it's right up that alley. There's no happy endings. Nothing good's gonna happen. But man, is it well written. Great stuff. After you've finished hiring a new footman and taking your afternoon tea, let us know what you're excited to read next week over at the THN forums. I hope Chris, the British guy, appreciates all these. Oh yeah. Efforts we're making to. I feel like we nailed it. Too. <laughs> to to right? relate to his culture. Like those not paying attention might just think this is a British podcast. Yeah. Right? Our accents are impeccable. They're truly. When those 80s beats start kicking, it means it's time to play the new and improved Ask a Nerd. Today, we are responding to several of you. As it happens, Marvel's latest event, Avengers X-Men Access, didn't turn out as great as most of us were hoping and left us with far more questions and answers. You guys flooded us with Twitter and Facebook <laughs> questions. Flooded. As to what the hell just happened. So, flooded us with very useful questions. And I gotta say, <laughs> Joe and I, were right there with you. So, we decided to invite our personal comic therapist and co-host of the Comics Therapy Podcast, Aaron Myers, to help us work through our feelings, anxiety, and questions about Marvel Axis. Aaron, welcome to The Ziggurat. Thanks, guys. It's good to be here. Are you both properly medicated? Well, I wanted to talk to you about that because my prescription just ran out not too long ago, and these antipsychotics aren't doing the trick they used to. You know that explains quite a bit. Okay, he, he's really starting to scare me, Aaron. Let, yeah, that makes sense. Let's start with a brief description of what the hell happened in the pages of Access. We should mention 
spoilerific. If you haven't read it, you're way behind. Oh, That's yeah. your own damn fault. Yeah, sorry. We're just spoiling. Here we go. We have to work through some stuff, you guys. Yeah. <laughs> Ultimately, the plot of Axis revolved around the Red Skull, who possessed the powers of Charles Xavier, uh, attacking mutant kind uh, and mutant kind and the Avengers fighting back. And uh, when the Scarlet Witch casts a spell to try to bring Xavier's personality back to the forefront, things go awry and heroes and villains that are present during the event have their personalities inverted. Good becomes bad. Bad becomes good. You get the gist. Things seem to have been put back into their proper places for the most part, but that's what we're kind of going to talk about. I think there's one big question that we need to start with. And several people threw this out on Twitter, right? Like as issue nine, it was nine issues, correct? Yeah. Nine issues. Just as issue and everybody finished reading issue nine. I think the first huge question was when did access take place? When exactly? Because it's really muddy. So yeah, that's a good question. (laughs) So you've got Thor, Thor Odin's son, the traditional Thor. Running around without Mjolnir. He's got Yarnbjorn. He's got the axe and he's got... One arm. One arm. Does he have one arm? He has one arm. I didn't... Yeah, hold. he has the destroyer arm. Okay, he's yes. got the destroyer arm. So, it takes place after Original Sin and after he gets his arm cut off in the pages of the new Thor number one. Yes. However, later in the series, <laughs> later in Axis, it is revealed that Mjolnir, Thor's hammer, is still on the moon, which means it takes place before the new Thor picks up the hammer. Yes, before female Thor shows yeah. up. So we're saying everything happened between the pages of Thor number one. Of the new Thor number one. Uh, that's how it seems, yeah. Good God. Well, because- and I'll, I can at least buy that all of the action in Nine Issues of Axis happened in very short order. Okay. Uh, yeah, I will say it did seem like it happened very fast. So I think, yeah, kind of. I think there's probably areas where that gets muddy too, but now I can't. I can't think of them exactly. Oh, other I'll, other than there seems to be like these time jumps that are more than hours. You I know? I will give you a prime example of that now that you've reminded me of it. Hobgoblin in the right, Axis, right. in the Axis Hobgoblin tie-in, that dude goes through an entire like career. And personality makeover. Yeah. To the point yeah. that he becomes like a celebrated figure. And it's like months later. Yeah. Well, not only that, in the end, the video that's recorded by the inverted villains to take. They take the blame. They take credit. Yeah. Blame for the events. Which is just is a, the worst. Is, <laughs> is said to have been recorded months earlier. So. Holy crap. Really? Right. Oh my <laughs> so, God. so Axis <laughs> is supposed to take place over months. Okay. Uh, okay um, so the answer to that question is when did access take place we're not really sure moving right along we can say it takes place before time runs out it's after the first secret wars (laughs) but before the next secret wars okay okay got it after the inversion ended who is still inverted let's let's do that real quick so saber tooth saber tooth we know havoc havoc is still a bad guy Iron Man is kind of a dick, but not necessarily a bad guy. Yeah, he's a bad guy. Okay. Well, I mean, not. I mean, he's not a super villain. He's more like a head. Now, here's my question: the Red Skull uh, still inverted? Yeah, and I think he was shielded as he's well. Red. So I do not. I don't think he was inverted. Okay, he is red. I think he's still the Xavier kind of manifestation of. 
the Red I, Skull. I think that that will be the revelation, and we'll get to that in a. We'll get to that. He in a does go too. back to to being red skin. Who else is still in that's worth? Is the Wasp? Uh, if you look at Axis number nine, and Scarlet Witch is casting the reversal spell with Doctor Doom and Xavier, the only three people huddled together when Tony Stark activates his failsafe, whatever that is. He somehow has a plan for an. <laughs> it's off panel. It's not. Important. He somehow has a plan to counteract chaos magic. Yeah, uh, sure. That's the te- technology. That's the Batman. Right. He puts a pop see. can in the microwave or something. I don't know. <laughs> right. He's got a stack of AOL discs. <laughs> and he throws them in the microwave and puts it on for Just a minute. As it gets to one, the whole block explodes. <laughs> and so the only people there when he triggers his little whatever are Iron Man, Sabretooth, and Havoc. That's it. That's the, all they show. Okay. And I would then, say um, because then they show that even people that aren't right there get inverted back because Loki and Thor are on the moon. Yeah, right. And right. they go back. Yeah, they're nowhere near it. Right. And they go back. So but we can say they weren't shielded. And that's why they went back. Everyone that wasn't right near Tony Stark went back. That's to how I read it. Yeah, no. except for the original spell was a proximity spell. They all had right. to be there on the island together. This one is more like Colossus puts the needle in his heart and the <laughs> legacy virus disappears. It's you know, yeah, for science reasons. But okay, apocalypse. Let's talk about apocalypse. Apocalypse goes back to being a kid. Now, but he does this out of the goodness of his own heart without the benefit of the spell at all. Deadpool, what do you mean? Talks him yeah, but, into <laughs> right, being exactly. a good guy. Oh, talk about therapy. Apocalypse. Yeah, right. Saban Nur is there saying, "Here it is. This is the big battle." Hip hip hooray. But this I is, have been inverted, and when you inverted me, I turned into Apocalypse, and Deadpool's like, hey, maybe don't be such a jerk. You used to be a nice kid. And he's like, you know what? You're right. And, I'm sorry I tore your head off. Yeah, and becomes a nice kid again. So, well, he's still, when we re- he's still okay. in the body of Apocalypse. I when, got that, but, but what I'm saying yeah. is, so he was inverted, became Apocalypse bad guy. They do the spell. The inversion goes away. He had already become a good guy again. When they reinvert him. All right. So, all right. <laughs> you see where I'm going? This is, this is, is he bad? Havoc, who had been traveling this path of mutant and human harmony uh, with the Unity Squad, has now been shifted towards like anti human mutant supremacy. And I get that. Like the traditional Magneto, you know? But he's not necessarily evil because right. the whole time he's like, I want to be a good dad. So we're thinking about it in like black and white terms when really it should just be. Maybe, like, for some characters, maybe it was just more of an attitude adjustment. Yeah, because, like, Havoc goes evil, still very much in love with the Wasp, still very much wants Right up to the point back. where he threatens to blow her head off. Well, you know. Right. right. <laughs> I mean, I've threatened to blow my wife's head off plenty of times. Doesn't mean you're evil. Yeah, just means we're arguing about what to have for dinner, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Here's my other question, though. If Carnage is blown up and, say, technically dead... Did the spell have any effect on the bits and chunks of his of the symbiote that was spread across, you know, the battlefield there? And better question, since when does blowing Carnage up kill him? <laughs> well, well right. this has happened to Carnage before. He got torn in half by the sentry in New Avengers number one. Yeah, in space, as I recall. <laughs> right. He flew so, him up into space, ripped him in half, didn't kill him. And it wasn't, I mean, we're not just talking like the sentry somehow had a hold of just the symbiote and no. tore it to pieces. No, he tore like Cletus Cassidy's body yeah, into the guy inside. Oh, well, you know, Cletus had a, had a lobotomy too and was brain dead and, uh, oh. and he still was, you know, healed and repaired. Cletus has had a rough go of it. We'll see. <laughs> yes. He had hit a lot stacked against him. Is carnage good or bad now or dead? I don't know. 
But he's know. definitely not dead. He's definitely not dead. He was just in Nova, right? He, he does appear. He does appear in the cliffhanger of the most recent Nova, which came out, I think, the week of Axis number Is nine. Is he a good guy or a bad guy? I don't know. See, good God. Well, that goes or back is to- he a mutant because he was able to absorb the entire blast of the gene bomb that was supposed to destroy anything without oh, an X gene? Anything human. Yeah, I didn't even think about that. My God, let's let's touch on Magneto for a second here, because this has to do Wanda sets off a blood curse to effectively, as I understand it, give her entire family bloodline really bad gas or something i don't know <laughs> but it, and she shoots it at magneto nothing happens we learn that wanda and pietro quicksilver are not related to magneto that's how that is the implication yes and we're probably going to find out that they are inhumans or something because that's what marvel wants to do yes and there was a really good question that anonymous i don't know who it was shot at tom brevoort on twitter they wanted to know did the axis spell that she shot out on her entire bloodline affect Wiccan and speed young Avengers. I think it's a great question. And if it does, I'm going to say Wanda, who was already the worst mother in the world might be the worst mother in the universe, <laughs> but she's their spirit. Like she's spiritually their mother. Like it's something weird with their, are they their the, birthing anyway? They're not biologically hers. They're, they're like the they're, magic babies. She conjured exactly, them out of thin air. Yeah. yeah. Oh God. So I, I think so the genetic portion related? of it doesn't apply. Okay. So she did a genetic blood curse and pretty much took a on Pietro right. <laughs> for no reason. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. He's got, <laughs> and it like, it just like Magneto. And and normally like, he's into that. Cause Magneto sort of let thing, out but... a little belch and everything was fine. Right. <laughs> so, right. Oh, you know what we're not talking about? Oh. Brother voodoo. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Um, That's an excellent point. When the f- did this guy come back? He, he didn't come back in access. He came back. Oh, it was Avengers world. Okay. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, Doom makes a deal to bring back Brother Voodoo and his dead brother back from the dead, so they can use so they can Whoa. use the that him instead of Doctor Strange to cast the spell. Back up, Brother Voodoo's dead brother is now back from the dead. Well, he's back to spirit form or whatever. Like whatever right. Brother Voodoo had oh. going on before, it's back to that. Back from the dead, dead. Now he's just dead. Yeah, yeah. Now he's just normal. <laughs> right now he's just now he's just mostly, mostly dead. dead. Mostly. All right. <laughs> In that Avengers World tie-in. I must have missed an issue because I don't recall that. But in the final Axis tie in Avengers World, the still heroic Doctor Doom also uses the last of his power to resurrect Ant-Man's daughter, uh, which yes. we see in the pages of this week's Ant-Man. Spoilers. Cassie. Cassie. Okay. Um, because he's the one that killed her. And so, you know, he's feeling really bad about it. And he uses what's left of his juice to bring her back from the All the other people that he's killed, however, stay dead. Screw you. Well, this is the only one that really affected. He only, he only, had, so enough, he only <laughs> had enough for one shot. What oh, do you okay. want? All right. And he's like, oh, it's the only one I can remember. And I actually, <laughs> uh, that particular tie in issue, I actually kind of liked. I, I liked doom. Like with the last few seconds he had left, he tried to do the most right thing he could think of. Okay. Okay. So let's get to the bigger point, which, and we're going to sum this up right now. Why did Marvel do this? What was the point? Because we were excited. The idea sounded like a lot of fun. We're going to invert some heroes. We'll get to see some bad guys being good, some good guys being bad. Most of the bad guys they chose are bad guys that I have not given a about for at least 20 years. 
Yeah, the choices. I mean, sure. you had a few major ones like Doctor Doom but was even, affected for a while, but only briefly. But Enchantress and Absorbing Man, you know, like yeah, like I'm not necessarily invested in even in what Goblin, happens to them from moment Hobgoblin to moment. and Carnage. Like yeah. I don't care. I think the Hobgoblin thing made for a fun story. Like some of it, I kind of get, and some of it, I agree. It's like. If they were going to do this, if they were going to make a, a major storyline out of it. Why not just do everybody? Like, I think originally it was supposed to be the Green Goblin, and that probably would have been a more major part of it, but yeah. uh, the Spider-Man office was like, ixnay. Yeah. Uh, like, I don't know about you guys, but I kind of enjoyed Uncanny Avengers. Yeah, and, and I loved it. Yeah, it, sure. It was really nutty for two full years, and it was all over the place, and huge ideas, and and ramifications to the timeline and all this fun stuff that I really love in comics. And then you get to access and it reads like something somebody wrote in a weekend because they had, they got an assignment from their teacher. <laughs> like this was not the same Rick Remender to me. And not at all. So when even, I, even tonally, it, right. It like varies. It's like, Hey, it's comedy. No, it's hyper serious, <laughs> but it's kind of funny, you know, like, wait a minute. And so when I read this, it seemed to me like, Marvel wanted certain characters to be set up for certain situations specifically. And I think the biggest one is Quicksilver and the Scarlet Witch. Yeah, absolutely. And they said, you know what? We need a reason why this happened. And they saw an opportunity to milk readers for money and they went for it. And I also think that the, there was, there was talk of what do we do with Iron Man now? How do we make him interesting? Let's, you know, let's make him evil, quote unquote. Or at least drunk. Yeah. You know, like, right. We'll reset the board back to 1982 with Tony. And so that, you know, that is a is a reason for it. Um, You build out kind of Loki's character some more, too, because, you know, there's there's stuff left over from that that Loki's dealing with. So there, there are things, there's reasons for, for this. Um, I did I like I, when Loki picked up the hammer and hit Thor. That was fun. And then immediately it was like inverted again. And he was like, no, no, he's yeah. like, I just beat my brother up and no one's ever going to believe me. <laughs> and see, well, I thought that that was a cool moment. Yeah. It didn't really resonate with me because no, it didn't. And it didn't mean it inverted. Loki didn't seem that different than Loki agent of Asgard. Yeah. Now, to be fair, I wasn't reading the tie-ins, so I, I can't speak to how he behaved in other books, but I don't know. I agree that they had reasons, but then they saw an opportunity to say, well, let's do a nine-issue event with tie-ins rather than just have these things happen organically, like in the pages of Uncanny Avengers or a relaunched Iron Man title right. or whatever. So ultimately, we're all in agreement. Access was a vehicle to make the Scarlet Witch... And Quicksilver in humans. <laughs> so they can That's, get rid of the X-Men and give us the uncanny well, they're, inhumans. They're not going to get rid of the X-Men. No, I heard they're killing them all. <laughs> I think we also might find that Brother Voodoo plays a big role in the Doctor Strange movie. And oh. ultimately, in a couple of years, when they announce a Doctor Strange ongoing series, he'll he'll be part of that, too. That could be very cool. And I, and I like that. I do like Doctor Voodoo. I love... Well, I think he's Brother Voodoo again. Because he's not the Sorcerer yeah. Supreme anymore. Yeah, but I still like calling him Dr. Voodoo. <laughs> okay. <laughs> he didn't go to eight years of medical school to be called Brother Voodoo. It's true. It's true. And I don't think he went to medical school. But <laughs> didn't go to eight years of voodoo school. So all of <laughs> right. this confusion, all of this ridiculousness, all of this plot-driven mess can be boiled down to two characters who we used to think are mutants are now in humans. 
Tony Stark is a drunk jerk and Sabretooth is a good guy. And Ant-Man has his daughter back. And Ant-Man has his daughter back. Because people will be going to look to buy Ant-Man trades when they see the Ant-Man movie is the thought behind, you know, editorial. Okay. And Professor Xavier may or may not be dead. May or may not be. Mostly dead. (laughs) Professor Xavier is still mostly dead. He's still got a skull face either way. So this is where we stand. This is what we've learned. I don't feel any better. I don't feel any better either. Are we doing this wrong, Doc? Or what's the deal? No, it's right. You know, it doesn't necessarily mean you're going to feel better. You've just come to terms with reality. We've come to terms with feeling bad about it. Okay. All right. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't mean it's good. It just means you accept it now. The good news is it's going to get a little easier every day. It's a a process. It's never going to hurt this bad again. Well, and if it does, (laughs) I can just I can just up your medication. That's true. That's true. Dr. Myers had a script here. I can just keep writing them all day long. Dr. Myers, thank you so much for joining us here in the ziggurat. I realize we didn't solve any problems, but I feel like we did talk through some. We were. That's all some therapy issues. is. You can hear Mr. Myers on his own podcast, Comics Therapy. It's fantastic. We will talk to you again very soon. You can also read Aaron Myers' ludicrous speed reviews on our website, although I will say they are highly controversial. Well, look, THN is where he gets let off the chain. It's true. It's true. Yeah. Thanks again for joining us, Aaron. We always look forward to talking to you. Aaron Myers after dark. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Talk to you later, guys. Sort of break it, break it down like this. And that is it for episode 192 of THM, the first real episode of 2K15. That's how the kids are saying it. If you like to abbreviate... Is it? Because I'd like to murder all of those kids. (laughs) If you like to abbreviate words to sound cool and save time, too, you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Stitcher, or TuneIn. But we still need your star rating, your reviews, your thumbs ups. And I believe that is the plural thumbs up. Your thumbs up. Thumbs ups. And hearts, because it helps us to connect with other potential listeners. Thank you to our latest sustaining donor, Clay Staley. And if you want to keep us in hot toddies and cough drops, you can do so by clicking our laryngitic PayPal button. Is that even a word? Hey, hey at, it's not underlined. You're right. At 2 nerd.com. PayPal is, though. <laughs> right. And if you want to become a sustaining member, it's as easy as clicking the Make This Donation monthly box. And every time I say that, I do air quotes for nobody. He does. He does. And as little as a dollar a month really does help. If you're interested in sponsoring this pitiful, sickly podcast, shoot us an email with a subject line, sponsorship. While you're there, you can find links to all of our contact info via Twitter, YouTube, Facebook, Skype, and the Ziggurat Hotline, 402-819-4894. Using this expansive list of resources, you can beg the comic pushers for a new read. You can hit us with your Ask Nerd questions or trivia, or defend your questionable nerd taste in front of the two-headed judge for our Defenders segment. I'd love to hear someone defend Axis. I know you're out there. I know you liked it. Yeah, that would be good. Or ask us to review your self-published comic, be it printed, digital, inverted, and turned evil, whatever. And don't forget to go sign up for the THN forums. This is your little virtual piece of the ziggurat where you can discuss this week's show, prescribe medication for this damn throat of mine, or just rap about comics. Remember to follow us on Twitter, like our Facebook page, and watch the forums if you want to get in on the Question of the Week discussion. And then be sure to tune in to hear your answers on the Answer of the Week podcast. But if you need more THN in your life, right now, get over to 2 and check out 
all of the Nerd TV articles by Jim Stafford. I can't stop that guy from writing. He's out of his mind. I love him. He must watch a lot of television. I think he does. <laughs> or he's an excellent liar. We've got, <laughs> we've got book reports by Andrew McBride. We've got Saturday morning cartoons by The Credible Hulk. We've got ludicrous speed reviews. The aforementioned ludicrous speed reviews by Aaron Myers. True. We've got a new Charlie Tron coming up. There's content for days. This is nuts. All right. You have to deal with me now because Matt has died on the floor of the ziggurat. And it. next week, I'll be auditioning new co-hosts. The Comic Pushers will also be back. I don't know who my partner will be. He won't be writing raps, that's for sure. Dealing highly addictive comics to the impressionable youth of the internet. But before we go, our weekly shout-out goes to the staff of Charlie Headbow and the families and friends of those that lost their lives this week. Charlie Hebdo is outrageous and offensive as often as it is biting and hilarious, but their dedication to free speech can't be denied. Word to you guys, our thoughts are with you. And this is something that affects every creator and every artist that does anything out there because there's always someone who thinks what you're doing is wrong or evil. You know what? Keep raising your voice. Keep speaking freely. Thank you for everything, Charlie Hebdo. Until next time, true believers, remember to pre-order your comics because your retailer just might kiss you on the mouth for it, but not if you're down with the plague like Matt Bomb. It's true. You don't want to kiss me right now. This is the Two-Headed Nerd signing off. <laughs> <laughs>